Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at Hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. The section that we're going over today, um, so a pretty exciting section of Lech Lecha, or go forth or go for yourself. We're covering Genesis 12 through 17, the launching port for the, the story, the account of Avraham, how Abram becomes Avraham, and the starting point for planting the people of God in a specific place. So as we've seen from the beginning account where we started in Bettersheet, the beginning part of the world. And then with Noah, we saw also another narrowing of the focus of God down to specific people. And then we, at the latter part of Noah, we had the genealogies that continued to show this narrowing down to one particular family and where that let left off at the last part of Noah there in chapter 11 was narrowing it down to the family of Avram and where they went, moved from Ur and over to the area of Haran. And that's where we pick things up today. I guess you could sort of break it up into a couple of different sections, one of which is the uh, first three chapters there, 12 through 14, which you see these uh, interesting bits of faith or trust in the Lord. And then you also see these uh, sections where you'll see these fits of fear where you're wondering, uh, well, did did you remember the, the promise that was that was given to you? So, as we've talked about in times before, and you can see the collection of studies that we've done on this particular passage in the past at halal.info slash p for parasha p3. So halal.info slash p3. And you can see all the various studies that we've done over over a decade of, of this particular passage. And you see that this is a progression of Avraham, a moving of him uh, to uh, from a man of promise to a man of loyalty, a man of faith, a man of trust, a very deep trust in the Lord. And why you see then the Gospels talk of him as being the father, really, of those who believe, those who place their trust in God and God's Mashiach. You see that there is this training process and as we talk about around Pesach time or Passover, that this progression out of Mitzrayim, out of Egypt, is something that all of us really go through from the the moment when we you know, move in God's direction. Now, uh, some of us, we come from a world apart or far off from God, and we come close to God, but there are others that are born within the family and you have to then um, make your own journey. Uh, the journey started out for you by your parents, 
but then you have to keep going. Otherwise, you'd be sort of like Abram's father who uh, stayed there in Haran and didn't go any further. He came out from the land he was going, but stopped sort of on the, on the edge of it. So, that's something that we don't want to do with our lives, where we are starting out on this journey toward the rest, toward the kingdom of God, and then decide that we want to camp on the outside of it and not fully go in. You're sort of along the along the road with people who are headed to the kingdom, but don't decide to go in yourself. So, further on in this passage, we'll start first and take a look at uh, Genesis chapter 12, where you see this uh, broken up into some sections. We get the, the promise, the instruction to go forward, and then you get the unfolding of what this deal, this covenant that heaven is striking with earth, with Avram to move him forward to be the the emissary in this very special land that's set out for the people of God. And then you see this encounter there with <laughs> Mitzrayim in a famine and uh, claiming to be a sister uh, that uh, Sarai is his sister so that uh, he won't get uh, killed because she's so fantastically beautiful. Now, one of the things that uh, you'll see in the sages, they, they talk about their being, here's your great 50 cent word for the day, the recapitulation of the story of Avraham gets repeated and his own son, Yitzhak, you see kind of a similar encounter happen with him. And then you also see a similar encounter, which is even prophesied in the passage we have today, with Israel in Mitzrayim there as captives and being freed from the house of bondage. You'll see a lot of the same overtones. And that has led the, the sages to talk about that what you see some key things that happens in the lives of the patriarchs and key figures in history are then recapitulated or repeated as a, you could say almost like a second verse or like a chorus of a song. They get repeated, maybe slightly different, uh, maybe a, a key difference, but you'll see enough of the similarities to know, okay, there, there are these motifs, there are the, these uh, repeating segments that will remind you, hey, this is the same song. So, thus, when we get into the time, uh, the apostolic times, when the time with the uh, Mashiach uh, comes to earth, you see that we are dealing with motifs of the same song. This is not plan A, God, and oh, well, that didn't work. Then we have plan B, and this is a totally different song. No, this is the same song. Or if you want to say this is a part of the, the same work, even though there might be different movements like you have in, in classical music, you might have different movements, but they all have a, a, a bit of a common thread throughout them. So, the key thing is to watch for these motifs, to watch for these repeating segments that would remind you, hey, this is something I've seen before. What is it that it's actually teaching me? So, let's kind of go on this a little bit further and you know, take a look at this and see where these things relate to our own lives. So, in there in the first nine verses of Genesis chapter 12, 
You see, Avram is given the in the instruction. You know, lech lecha, go forth, go for yourself, head out into this new land. And so, when we ask ask ourselves this, similar to what we do around the time of Pesach, we should ask ourselves also, you know, where is our quote hometown, the the place where we come from? You know, it could be our physical hometown where we where we grew up, where we were born, where we started from, and you know, then move forward into. You know, when did you first leave that? Is it, you know, you left early on uh, in your in your life? What do you call your your hometown? You know, for me, personally, I was, I was born in New Jersey and then age five or so moved to Southern California and then you know, moved up to the Bay Area and then moved to Alaska. So what is my hometown? I wouldn't call New Jersey my hometown. I was barely there, barely remember it. I wouldn't call Southern California my hometown because we were only there for, i try trying to remember, maybe a couple of years or something like that. I wouldn't call the East San Francisco Bay Area my hometown. Barely spent time there. The North Bay, I have spent time here since, but initially before heading up to Alaska, it wasn't really my hometown. But when I go, went up to uh, Alaska, that was where a lot of the, the foundational parts of me and what uh, structured me into who I would later become, you know, you could say for good or for ill, those things really gelled there. So I would say that Alaska and Anchorage would be my hometown because that is where I was uh, really formed together. Now, going on from there, uh, what is it that you took with you? What did you leave behind? You know, whether it's your family, whether your friends, what did you take with you from that experience and what are you leaving behind? In Avram's case, you know, um, according to, to tradition and where his family, uh, what they brought with them out of Ur as far as uh, some of the, the uh practices uh, the religion of the time brought with them to Haran but that didn't move forward with Avram as he moved into Canaan so this was a break what he left behind you know what what I left behind there in Alaska you'd probably say maybe didn't have the the, the greatest in, in one sense, I had you know, a great group of friends in another sense I also had another group of friends that were <laughs> not just to put it mildly, not so great. So, what did I leave behind when I left? Um, I could say I hope I left behind the tendency to gravitate toward the the folks who were not so great. But you know, I did take along some of those those tendencies to gravitate to those sorts of folk that had to get settled out when I left to go to college in Washington state. So that was a progression as it went down there and kind of fussing with, well, what direction do you want to go? Do you want to go with, with uh, the old style of life that you had in high school and the, the, those kinds of friends, or you wanted to go with the, the, the group of friends that tended to move you toward the, the better things in life to move you more toward God's kingdom. And so that, took a while to decide which which way I wanted to go with that. Hey, Larry's got his hand up. 
I was I was watching um, another parish all the other day, and and uh, they they mentioned that uh, Abraham was told to leave his his family, but he took Lot with him. Mm-hmm. And then they pointed out that every time the lot was involved in anything was a problem for Abraham. <laughs> yeah, was it that that the same thing that I I heard before I left is you know uh, show me who your friends are and I'll tell you who you are. Well, that was a kind of a thing for me. Is like I had two diametrically opposed groups of friends, so um, I. And that's one thing I had to sort out for myself during college is like, well, which way do I want to go? Um, I fooled myself thinking, oh, I could just float between them. No big deal. It's, you know, float between this way of life, float between that way of life. You're not going to get stained either way. But um, what I sort of stumbled around groping in the dark thinking about and, you know, eventually and, you know, reading the word sort of came apart and thinking, uh, you know, about the whole uh, good tree, good fruit, bad tree, bad fruit thing. Finally realized um, that's a pretty foolish way to go about thinking that you can just kind of dabble, dabble in the dark side, so to speak. And the dark side is not going to swell over you. Well, um, that's pretty naive because over over time you start to um as they say be desensitized to the darkness and th- oh it's not really that bad we see a little bit of that as people have noted over a long period of time with uh, lot and his <laughs> his um uh, first pitching his tent toward uh sodom and then finally ending up in sodom and then you know ending up as uh, some sort some sort of uh dignitary of sodom uh so that is a progression that you always have to watch out for. And is it that you are changing Sodom or is Sodom changing you? And that's one thing I had to stumble about the the hard way had I just listened to the word and listened to my parents and listened to some very wise friends that would have told me, hey, you know, you can't just dabble in darkness and think that uh, you're not going to get stained by it. Um, pretty Pretty naive. Another thing is, we discuss this when we get around to Pesach time is, you know, have you ever gone back to your hometown? Have you ever gone back to the place where you start? And it's one of those things that if you move on to a different way of life, different friends and this and that, if you are separating yourself from them, you go back and you realize, well, is this where I start from or have I moved to a different place? a become a citizen of a different place so to speak that you're sort of coming home but it's feeling a bit alien to you and so we we see that that is um, mentioned in hebrews chapter 11 about going off and mentioning these patriarchs and how they were looking forward to a new country for a new city that uh, had its foundations in heaven not foundations on earth so as we move from where we started to where god is taking us do we see uh that there are the things to keep in mind as you move on but then the things that you have to realize you have to let go it's one of the things and the the topics of pesach time so and then when you think about, you know, what did you do or what did you hope for uh, when you were at 75 or when you were 75, 
you think about that kind of time is when Avraham left, what were your hopes and dreams and what are you looking forward to? So, as we see as we span this particular section from the time he was 75 up through age 100, uh, 9900 is where the account ends for this particular section of Lech Lecha. But, you know, think about yourself uh, decades in the future or, you know, decades in the past as the situation might be. You know, think about that as, well, are you where you wanted to be? Um, did you realize that you've progressed in a, in a direction that you didn't want to go? Are you further toward the kingdom of God and the place where, where you wanted to be? Now, with this also... And you think about this journey, we talked about going on this journey, uh, where we go as a person, and around the time of Pesach, and around the time of Yom Kippur, around the time of Sukkot, as we think about all of the, the annual memorials that we have as like way markers on our journey from the house of bondage to entering God's rest, the land of freedom, and then the the world made new that we celebrate around the time of Sukkot and the eighth day, that we think about, well, are we different every time we go through these cycles? And every time we have each one of these memorials of a bit of the progression from where we were before, where where the Lord found us or where the Lord called us from, to where we're ending up. Are we actually different? Or every time we get around to Yom Kippur and we start noting down uh, the various categories of uh, sins that they're really good to repent from and turn back from, is has the Lord made any progress with us on any of those? Or are we still stuffing our spiritual suitcase with those things and still carrying it along with us as we go from bondage to freedom and realize that um, not only can't you take it with you, you should not take it with you. So when we talk about what have we left behind, are we truly different? And as we t- talked about with the... the <laughs> passage of Noah there with the flood um we want to be left behind when the when the flood and the deluge and as it talks about with the the time of the day of the lord with uh, fire and uh, smoke and darkness comes that we don't want that to take us but if we think about it personally what do we want the lord to take away from us to sweep away from us like the flood or the conflagration, um, as it talks about in the word about being refined in the fire. So, talked about uh, the things that we have that are good or bad, and now to the journey where God is taking us. Some of the things that we've seen in uh, the Gospels and through the uh, reciting that we do of the Shema, each week we see some main distinctions of character that we are being taken through. And in this particular encounter we're going to be looking at, um, it might look like these are uh, disjointed ideas, but as um, as the uh, Apostle Matthew and Mark uh, put these 
accounts together, they are lumped together in a similar place because they are really speak to the same issue. And this idea of um, what what does it mean to have the um, to be with an eternal God, the account of the resurrection? What does that actually mean for who we actually serve? And also, on the other side of that, then what does that mean for the people that we should be? As we'll see, that when we're talking about a life eternal, that we you know progress from the things that are temporary to the things that are eternal, that we are also should live like we are, our hope is for life eternal rather than life temporary, because what is life temporary? As it says in the word, you know, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die, rather than realize that, oh, wow, you know, tonight you're not even going to be, you're not even going to make it to tomorrow, because it says your life is going to be called for uh, tonight, as that particular parable goes. So, let's look at this particular passage. We're going to uh, look at it uh, mostly here in Matthew chapter 22, but we'll also pull in one of the parallel passages as we go along. So, we're going to start here in Matthew uh, 22, verse 23, and uh, chug through these particular passages here. On that day, some of the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to Yeshua questioning him, saying, Teacher, Moshe said, If a man dies having no children, his brother, as next of kin, shall marry his wife and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers with us, and the first married and died, and having no children left his wife to his brother, and also the second and the third down to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, Whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had married her. But Yeshua answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not understanding the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. But regarding the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what is spoken to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Yitzhak, and the God of Yaakov. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. But when the Perushim heard that Yeshua had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Now, this is a parallel passage at this point. Uh, Pick up the passage here in Mark chapter 12, verses 32 through 34, which kind of is an elongation of this interchange. The scribe said to him, Right, teacher, you have truly stated that he is one and there is no one else beside him. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as himself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Yeshua saw that he had answered intelligently, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one would venture to ask him any more questions. 
And then going back to Matthew chapter 22, uh, continuing on in verse 41. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Yeshua asked them a question. What do you think about the Mashiach? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, then how does David in the spirit call him Lord saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. If David calls him Lord, how is he his son? No one was able to answer him a word, nor did anyone dare from that day on to ask him another question. So, when we look at this, we see that in this there are these two destinations, and the destinations of love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And these, these two distillations that we see encompassed not only in the Shema and um, Deuteronomy chapter 6, but also in the uh, Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18, we see of what is really in the character that you are taking with you and where your, your, your pillars and foundations of your life are. Because if we look at this, so just take a look at the Shema segment. Um, and as it is in the prayer, it, it continues on. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontals on your forehead, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land, which he swore to your fathers, Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, to give you great and splendid cities, which you did not build, houses full of good things, which you did not fill, and the hewn cisterns, which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees, which you did not plant, and you eat and are satisfied, then watch yourself that you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Mitzrayim out of the house of slavery. You shall fear only the Lord your God, and you shall worship him and swear by his name. You shall not follow other gods, any of the gods, the peoples who surround you, for the Lord your God is in the midst of you, is a jealous God. Otherwise, the anger of the Lord your God will be kindled against you, and he will wipe you off the face of the earth. So, what we see in this is that this is what a return to Israel would be, what it was meant to be, what it was promised. And in this case, it was promised to Avraham about four centuries earlier at this point with the here, as Moshe is talking to the second generation, you know, coming out of the house of bondage in Mitzrayim. But the key point is, is that you're not supposed to long for Mitzrayim. You're, it wasn't your home. That's not the place where you're going. You're actually going to a place that is a gift. It is a gift to you, not because you're so awesome, not because you're so powerful, but these are things that you did not build, yet they are, um, in a sense, pre- prepared for you. And this is a part of the, you know, the kingdom of God. You see a kind of a hint of that where Yeshua was uh, talking about, you know, I go to pre- 
prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'm going to come again. You know, these are the things that are prepared and they are meant to be entered into. But these are not, you could say, I did it by my power and by my might. These are by, because of the Lord's favor, the Lord's grace. The Lord is providing these things to you. Are you actually going to enter in or are you going to linger on the outside of the kingdom of God? So, one of the things that Israel was to remember as they would be going into the land is that these are not coming by human efforts. And that's what we see in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 through 14. For this commandment, which I command you today, is not too difficult for you, nor is it out of reach. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will go up to heaven for us to get it for us and make us hear it? that we may observe it. Nor is it beyond the sea that we should say, who will cross the sea for us to get it for us and make us hear it, that we may observe it. But the word is very near to you. It's in your mouth and in your heart that you may observe it. So this is a key reminder, not only for the second generation coming out of the house of bondage, but for us today, is this is our destination to go into the land. This is not going into another house of bondage. This is a part of life that will be a change. But do you actually want this new way of life to be in your mouth, the things that you say, in your heart, the things that will be coming out from you, your, your emotions out of you? Are they, is it going to be getting down into your, <laughs> your, your kidneys, your guts, the, the innermost part of you that is truly your character? Or is it just going to be a superficial thing that you either want or you don't want? You could take it or leave it. So, at this point, it's a, a the Haftarah for this week is from Isaiah chapter 40, verses, verse 27 through chapter 41, verse 16. It's, you could kind of drop this in in various places of our particular passage we're looking at today because it applies to several different sections. But it's good to consider this at this point because here through the prophet Yeshiyahu, we have this reminder to Israel, Israel, you know, facing exiles facing being thrown out of this land of promise, being thrown out of God's rest, that uh, this is not the way the Israel was meant to go. And it can be a different way again. But are you actually willing to go back to the way it was supposed to be instead of trying to make the land into something that it was not intended to be. Even though the Lord was the one who put you in the land to begin with. So, we're going to be taking a look at Isaiah chapter, starting in chapter 40, verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God? Do you not know, have you not heard? 
the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount upon wings like eagles and they will run and not get tired. They will walk and not be weary. Chapter 41. Coastlands, listen to me in silence and let the peoples gain new strength. Let them come forward and let them speak. Let us come together for judgment. Who has aroused one from the east whom he calls in righteousness to his feet? He delivers up nations before him, subdues kings. He makes them like dust with his sword and the wind-driven chaff with his bow. He pursues them, passing on in safety. By a way, he has not been traversing with his feet, who has performed it and accomplished it, calling forth the generations from the beginning. I, the Lord, and the first, and with the last, I am he. The coastlands have seen and are afraid. The ends of the earth tremble. They have drawn near and have come. Each one helps his neighbor and says to his brother, Be strong! So the craftsman encourages the smelter, and he who smooths metal with the hammer encourages him who beats the anvil, saying to of the soldering, It is good, and he fastens it with nails so that it will not totter. But you, O Israel, my servant, Yaakov, from my chosen, descendant of Abraham, my friend, whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its remotest parts, and said to you, You are my servant. I have chosen you and not rejected you. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all those who are angered at you shall be ashamed and dishonored. Those who contend with you will be as nothing and will perish. You will seek those who quarrel with you, but will not find them. Those who war with you will be as nothing and non-existent. For I am the Lord your God who upholds your right hand, who says to you, Do not fear, I will help you. Do not fear, you worm Yaakov, you men of Israel. I will help you, declares the Lord. And your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Behold, I have made you a new sharp threshing threshing sledge with double edges. You will thresh the mountains and pulverize them and make the hills like chaff. You will winnow them and the wind will carry them away and the storm will scatter them. And you, but you will rejoice in the Lord. You will glory in the Holy One of Israel. So, we were talking about earlier that uh, there are these continual motifs that you see um, in the lives of the patriarchs that play out in other times in Israel's history. So the interesting part here is that Israel is being reminded, uh, first off, is that, don't forget, we, we uh, had that encounter with uh, Hagar earlier, and... Uh, Hagar is saying that you are the God, the God who sees. But you also see 
here for the later generations that he sees everything. So these later generations in Israel's history have to realize that what they've been doing to the land, what they've been doing to the promise, what they've been doing to the name of the Lord is not going to escape notice. But then also the flip side of that, as the reminded here through the prophet, is that also he sees the nation scattered. He sees scattered into the far corners and he is wanting to bring back, to recover, to restore. And then calling to mind again to Israel about remember that Israel was called as the servant of heaven. And here it's uh, setting up in chapter 42 of Isaiah, one of the the servant of the Lord passages were again reminding Israel of its great mission as being the servant of the Lord on the earth. And earlier on in, in Isaiah, you see the accounts of the prophet himself talked about being a servant of the Lord. Then you see this moving on to Israel being a servant of the Lord. And then as we talked about just a couple of weeks ago about the chapters 52, 53, about the ultimate servant of the Lord. So you see the recapitulation of the, the motifs of uh, Avraham in his life, that he would be the great uh, servant of the Lord being down expressed into the time of the Mashiach as the, the ultimate servant of the Lord. The, and then we see the reminder that um, it's not some other nation, not some other superpower that you might be trying to depend on. Who is the one who takes down these nations? It's the Holy One of Israel. So you see also shades of that with Avraham taking down these uh, kings that had mere chieftains that went against uh, and took Lot hostage along with the other kings around him so his band of 318 plus his allies that were lived in the area there around him they went and they vanquished these chieftains yeah. don't talk about other than avraham's crew of 318 as to how many other people he had with them but they were able to take them down so it's a, an example of like okay well you think that you're in a state Israel, where you are not able to actually conquer anything. You are still in a weakened, dispersed state. Well, remember that the Holy One of Israel can redeem you to purchase you back, to take you back from the nations, and also set you up. So, just as the Lord did the first time with um, a place that was not uh, not created, not developed by Israel, but bring them in to a land that was not their own and give them that. So also the Lord can do that again, which is why the passage we saw we're looking at earlier in the Gospels and Matthew is so important is that it's not just the, the promise, okay, we're going to just have some resurrection down at some point in time, kind of off in the future, who knows when, we, we all hope for that. But this, remember, this is the one who has that power. That power can be exercised 
at any given point in time. And uh, we see the accounts that the Lord saying that I raise nations up, raise kings up and take them down at any point in time when they serve the Lord's purposes or not. That is something that can happen at any point in time. So, going on to just going to do a quick review of some of these other passages that we're looking at here in Genesis 13. <laughs> talking about uh, Lot and the division of the land, about the, the grass being greener on the other side. We've got this, this quarrel between Avraham's household and, uh, and Lot's household. And we see the interesting thing that at this point you're seeing that this this uh, leaving Lot to take the area that looks like it is better and more prosperous, but we you could see peek behind the curtain in this particular passage where the Lord promises to Avram, "Hey, I am going to give you this land. You look east, west, north, south. This land I am going to give you." So, you think of that in the context of also looking toward Sodom, looking toward Gomorrah, to those uh, cities of the plain, and also to all of the the cities and uh, settlements that were around Canaan uh, at that particular point in time, and then some of the nations around the land at that particular point in time. That's out to the borders that the the Lord had had told Avraham about is that this was going to be his. So this trust to say, okay, I don't need to grab what looks best. I will let the Lord lead me. The Lord led me from Haran to here, and now He will lead me even further. So that is uh, a very interesting section that we look at do we actually trust that the lord is going to give what he promised do we trust that he is the one that is going to recreate the world do we trust that he is the one that will take the dead and bring the dead back to life do we trust that he's going to give us those things or do we just look to grab whatever we can at any point in time and hope that someone else doesn't have a bigger sticks, so so to speak, to beat us down and take our stuff from us. So, what is it that we, we trust in? But one of the other things to note in this particular passage, and we see it um, develop as this account goes on, is we saw it in chapter 12, and we see it also in chapter 17, and you see it first off in chapter 12, where it talks about when when Avraham left, he had all of those that he he purchased. And the interesting thing in, in that particular passage is talking about those ones that he asa, the ones that he, you could say, made, fashioned, formed. So, those people that he formed, you see later on in the end of chapter 17 where it talks about circumcision, talks about all the people that he purchased. So, you know, say, well, okay, well, you know, the realm of uh, servitude, that's uh, something that is distasteful for modern life. 
but at this particular point in time in the culture, it was quite common. And as we've talked about, and as we go through the Torah, when it talks about the segments of where you were uh, dealing with, it says a quote, slave, unquote, that it's more in the realm of uh, indentured servitude for the, the, the common servants, probably more in the realm of slave when you're talking about the, a foreign um, people of a foreign nation that you are conquering them in the midst of battle. But in that sense, what then do you do with those people who are around you? Do you crush them or do you build them? Now today, you know, we have, we employ people, we have people that are, uh, that we influence. So, are we forming people that are within our control, within our gates, so to speak? Or are we using people? Do we form them into something? And in this case, you could see form them into, with Eliezer formed him into being someone that he would say, I'm going to pass my legacy on to you. And then with the, the 318, he ended up with a, a fighting force that was uh, pretty formidable for uh, Kanan at the, at the time. So, what is it that we are forming with those in our midst? The, the children, our friends, um, if we own a business, our employees. What are we doing with those that are in our midst? And, you know, if you think about it also... That goes into people that um, we em- employ, so to speak, uh, for services. Like when you hire a plumber, when you're uh, involved in some sort of a service, you know, purchasing something over the telephone, are we forming these people that we interact with in commerce or are we crushing and using these people? You know, you say, oh, well, I'm, I'm never going to see that person again, so who cares how I treat them? Well, uh, really, very interesting to think about that as a form of all the things that were within our, our gates of our control, so to speak. Just uh, touching a little bit in chapter 14, you got Avram bails out Lot and also Sodom and Gomorrah with it. Very interesting to note in just this particular time period that Sodom and Gomorrah are saved. Why? Because they are so great? No, it's because of Lot is with them. And we see that later on, as we're going to go into uh, our following Torah passage, where you have Sodom and Gomorrah are hanging in the balance. And who is it that gives at least the opportunity that uh, the cities of the plain can be saved, it is because Lot is in their midst. So, thus, when you see you know, later on, the Apostle Paul is talking about with um, you know, women who are in a marriage and married to an unbeliever, you know, one way or the other, a husband married to an unbelieving wife or a wife married to an unbelieving husband, and it talks about, you know, how do you not know? that you will be able to um, save the children, save the household uh, through your connection. So that's in a sense that here we are in the midst of uh, our families or our communities, you know, people that don't give a rip about God, but in a sense there might be um, a, 
redeeming or a saving that happens to our families and our communities because of our intercession for them and our presence in them. Their mercy might be on our our families and our, our state and our communities, our nation, because we're here versus the other the other way around. But also we see that uh, not only in Israel's history, but also in the foretold day of the Lord, there comes a time where it's like, okay, uh, the the judgment is coming. And like with Lot, <laughs> the Lot had to be, uh, in a sense, and later, literally dragged out of the city to avoid the judgment that was going to come down upon it. And likewise, we see later on in history that there will be a point where, you know, the, the cry that goes out to heaven is just too great. And the Lord finally says, enough of this destruction, enough of the, of the pain, the suffering. He's going to bring this to an end. And uh, we, and, or we or those who are left at that particular time period will then have to... It, trust a lot on the Lord that he is truly going to bring us through in the midst of it. And we also see like foretold in uh, read recently in Zechariah chapter 14. We also see it in revelation that there will also be some that uh, some of the righteous who do succumb to the things related to the day of the Lord. So, in what do we put our trust? Are we like the friends of Daniel who are saying, you know, even if the Lord um, destroys us, slays us, kill us, still will we trust? Because we trust in the God of Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, the one who can bring to life again, even if there is a wounding. What do we put our trust in? Just our own necks? or the creator of heaven and earth. We see that that is the appeal that is going out into the world through us. And it comes to us through the great plant that the Lord made in Israel. About see it in Isaiah about the planting of the vineyard. This great oak tree, as the apostle Paul puts it, that the Lord planted in the earth. And we are branches of it. You know, do we bear fruit from the tree or do we get pruned from the tree? So pretty, pretty sobering thing to, to think about there. Now uh, we'll close out here with the, the section uh, Genesis 15 through 17 about moving from this deal that was struck that we read about earlier on in this particular passage of Lech Lecha. And Moving then to the sign of the of the covenant, the sign of the deal, the, the the signature on the deal, the signature that gets passed from generation to generation, and it is it is very interesting because uh, just having a conversation recently, we always talk about you know laws, and we have the secular laws that uh, some are. Are are good. Other ones are uh, loathsome. Other ones are oppressive. But the the conversation came to, well, 
there should be a sunset on laws that they should be up for review every so often. And, you know, there are some laws that are like that. They have a sunset provision that if they are not renewed, then they will just expire at a particular point in time. So, in a sense, you know, with the kingdom of God, we can say that really every generation is the sunset clause for the uh, kingdom of God within our families. Is that, well, will it go on to the next generation? And this idea of circumcision is a part of that starting of the deal for the next generation into it. But again... If your parents start you down this road and on the eighth day committing that you are going to be moving down this road, do you, when you come of age where it's now, are you going to run with it? It is, is it just uh, ended up being a contract that you leave in the bottom drawer of your desk or falls behind your desk or you just forget about it? Or is it a covenant that you will say, all right, my parents started me out on this. I am going to go forward that I am going to show honor to them. They are the ones who started me out and they also set me on this path in the kingdom of God and I will go forward in it. Otherwise, and that's part of what is often torturous with the Apostle Paul's discussion, like you see in Galatians and and uh, Colossians and Ephesians, that if, and also in Romans, that if you are not uh, taking this as a, uh, a continuance of the legacy of the kingdom of God through Avraham, down through the Mashiach, and to us today, if you're not taking this as a continuance of it, it's just mutilation of the flesh. You're making an outward show to uh, the those who um, initiate the process for you uh, with the procedure, but you yourself, what has it really come to be of you? Nothing. So thus, has the legacy actually moved on? No. And that's really Paul's point, is that this legacy of trust in God has not actually moved on. All you've really done is mutilated your flesh in the process. So, uh, just a, a quick little jump into Genesis chapter 15 about this promise that goes to Avraham. There is a couple of real touch points about this, about the word of the Lord coming to Avraham in a vision. And I think that's really kind of interesting. We see a little bit of a wordplay with um, you know, Mamre and the the oak of Mamre, the, that idea of a bit of the 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 word in that relate, and then also the word of the Lord uh, coming to Avraham. And you see that also reflected in the scriptures about you know the word of the Lord coming here, the word of the Lord coming there, and then we see the ultimate fulfillment of that, of the word of the Lord becoming flesh in the Mashiach and then moving forward and calling to the same descendants of Avraham who also trusted in the Lord to also take that, take that relationship forward. As we see there in Genesis uh, fifteen six, where he believes in the Lord and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now, as 
uh, it's the Apostle Paul quotes it in Romans 4, 3, Galatians 36, that this key moment in the history of Avraham, that Avraham believed the Lord's promise that the, that the Lord was going to bring descendants through him. And this was before he actually was given to say what the mechanism was, because we, we're going to see here shortly in our recap of, the, of the, the latter two chapters of our section today, that um, it's like, well, okay, we got this promise. How is it going to happen? We see that in chapter 16 of Genesis, the attempt was made to say, okay, well, let's work with what we got. Uh, we got Eleazar, and okay, well, Eleazar is not going to be that then. If it's going to have to come through Avraham, then uh, okay, well, we'll work on bringing an actual child through Avraham with then bringing in Hagar. But we see that in not only in the the passages in Romans and Galatians where the Apostle Paul brings it up, but the Apostle Yaakov brings it up in James chapter 2, that this idea of trust is not lip service. You don't just say, okay, I trust in you. Well, what do you actually do about it? Do you move forward with uh, your life as if you actually trust the Lord? Or do you move forward with your life as if you don't really care? No one can see that you are be, have become a different person. Your character has changed. You are more loving. You are more trustworthy. You are you know, more honest. You are more dependable. And I'll say, wow, okay, what is it that is the basis for who you are? Or also a conversation with some friends recently about the, the whole idea of, you know, putting your, your hand on the Bible and, and swearing to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help me God and the various forms of that, the idea, well, what does that sort of an oath mean? If you are invoking the name of God or saying that you are a believer in God, yet your word means nothing you are tearing down the kingdom of God. You're destroying it. So, you are, your trust is actually uh, eroding trust. If you are not trustworthy, then what does that say of the one who you profess to trust in? Is that one trustworthy? An interesting thing that uh, we see kind of closing out in uh, chapter 15 was this, <laughs> this uh, something that gets uh, mentioned again when we get into the book of Shemot or Exodus about you know, the iniquity of the Canaanites being not totally fulfilled. So it's like even at this particular point, we've got Avraham and the kingdom of God are moving into the land are being established in the land, but still that go ahead to say, okay, we're going to clean house in this land to clean out the inhabitants. Yet that was still not given forward that their iniquity still had not risen to that point. A couple of things to note in Genesis 16, when we look at uh, Hagar and Ishmael, we were saying earlier about things that resembled things that we hear later. Um, 
when you're hearing about this interaction between the angel of the Lord and Hagar, um, they probably say, oh, well, ding, 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 that was starting to sound a little bit familiar. You probably noticed that it sounds a little bit like when you look in the Gospel of Luke with the interaction with the archangel, Gabriel, and Miriam, or Mary. And it sounds something very similar. You know, you're saying like, well, and you will call his name Ishmael. And you see that uh, the foretelling that you will call his name Emmanuel. You know, Emmanuel, the God who dwells with us. You see some of these hallmarks here. And one of the questions I know I've had in this chapter, and I don't know if you've had it too, but this chapter here is, uh, seems to me a lot like in uh, Genesis 2 and 3. Because you think of the tree of the knowledge of good and bad. Um, why was it planted? You're like, okay, this is planted in the garden. Is this just like a, like a trap? And we think also here in Genesis 16, um, here we have this, this blessing. This thing um, was not a surprise to the Lord, yet not only is this great promise to make the descendants of Ishmael a great nation, but then also you have the, the uh, for the sake of Avraham, as you see later on, where he's saying, well, is there something for uh, Ishmael too? And the Lord says, yeah, I've heard you and I'm going to bless him too. And, you know, he's going to be nation going. So you got like the uh, kind of skip the generation with, with Yitzhak, but with, with Yaakov and his 12 sons and Ishmael and his 12 sons, you've got these, like these two houses, so to speak, on, on the earth, in addition to all the other nations out there. And you're like, well, what then have you created? Because it's foretold even here that, you know, he's going to be wild and his hand is going to be at, at people and everybody is going to be against him. So it's like, okay, you're, you're creating a strife a source of strife in the earth, why would you do that? Well, one of the things that you see some hints of as we go on um, later on in the book of Genesis, especially around the, the death of Abraham himself, is you, you see these little glimpses that there is a path back for this second line, the line of Yishmael. There is a path back to turn back from this, to not be the house of being against everybody and everybody being against you. You can, you know, you could sense uh, be adopted out of that family into a different family. We see it in the world today where there are those who are called by God to say, okay, come out and join a different family. And they respond and hear. Yet, you still have this out there as this, you say, alternate reality. And then you see with the, the, alternate, uh, the alternate religion to the practice of God out there, you have stories that are very much very similar to the stories that you see and the accounts that you have in the Bible. Uh, a different account of creation, 
a different account of of what happened and who was offered there or who was to be offered, whether it was Yitzhak or Ishmael on the mountain. If di- different accounts of how things were supposed to go down. So, the question is, well, who do you trust? Who do you trust? And more and more, praise God, we're seeing that the call to go out to say, hey, um, turn back to the one who really took things out to move things forward. Turn away from the family of of aggression toward others and others than having to respond in kind, turn away from that to a different path. So praise God that eventually you will have all the families of the earth be reunited. But we see as we see in, in the end of Zechariah where you know, it takes a bit of coaxing <laughs> to get people to come up, to the house of the Lord uh, in on the day of the Lord, it will take some coaxing to say, okay, turn away from the way your life used to be. But praise God that this, that this will be over. And you see the apostle Paul, we kind of mentions it earlier here in chapter four of Galatians and verses 21 through 31. He uses the riffs on this account of of Sarah and Hagar for the free woman and the bond woman and comparing those to together about uh, Sinai and and Hagar so talking about the Jerusalem on earth Jerusalem on earth or the Jerusalem in heaven or so you got this comparison the Jerusalem on earth with Hagar and the Rushlaim above being Sarah, the free one, the one who's free, the one who's enslaved. So one of the, the things that you see with this is which family do you want to be a part of? Do you want to be a part of the family that will be saying, you know, through your might, you made this happen? Or do you want to be a part of the family that says, you know, you are not mighty, but the Lord will make, will turn you into a great nation. In Sarah's case, she was not able to have children, but the Lord did the impossible. So, with the world today, we may see things that are just going horrifically bad. We see the prophecies of the day of the Lord that they will be a day of darkness, a day of smoke, and it just looks utterly hopeless. But one of the things that we also have in the midst of those promises, that when the things do look dark, that the Lord will, in the end, turn things around. It will not go into destruction, despair, dissipation, become nothing. It will become something. It will turn around for the good. But do we trust that the Lord is actually going to do that? Do we, we trust that the Lord is actually able to turn us around? We may think that we are too far gone, too far lost. Well, are we actually crying out to the Lord to turn around, turn us around and go the other way? And do we trust that he is El Roy, the, the God who hears? Or 
do we think that our prayers are just going up into nothing, that he does not hear and will not come and redeem us? Do we actually want to be redeemed? That's a question that we face every time that Pesach rolls around. And as we close out things today here with uh, Genesis chapter 17, just some interesting things to note about the the changing of the names. That's one of the things that we've talked about in times past is the significance of names in the Bible. The names talking about where people come from, you know, like Adam, coming from ground or earth, Adama, and that being a sense of, okay, this is the dirt man. This is where he comes from. And Chava, or the mother of all the living, coming from the idea of life. So Eve being the mother of the living. So Chava, the sense of life, life comes from her. And she comes from the dirt man. And Abel, or Havel, with the idea of breath or vanity, a wisp, and we see his life you know, cut short from where it was going. And Shet, the, um, the one who actually, from the family of God, who continues on, as his name could be translated substitute or replacement. So we see that in these ideas also that when God changes people's names or when people change someone's name, that there is a change in mission, a change in purpose, a, a new beginning, if you want, of where, where they will go. Uh, some examples that we have in the word of like Yaakov, we'll read about him in the next passage that he goes from uh, supplanter to Israel or one who struggles with God or rules with God. And Shlomo, uh, whose name uh, Solomon means his peace. You also see at one point he's called Yedadia or the, the beloved, the, uh, the beloved of the Lord. And we see also in a sense with the various, um, pictures that we get of the Messiah. They're called the branch, the son of man, the the seed. And we see that given to a specific name with Yeshua and the picture there of salvation or God saves. So we see some accounts in Revelation chapter two and three of where um, this revelation of Yeshua, the Messiah, that in this the ones who overcome when we talked about earlier about what family are we born into? What, uh, are we born into the, the, the house of bondage or are we born into the house of freedom? And when we move into the house of freedom, are we actually free? Have we left our old, uh, hometown behind and all of our old way of life that was not leading us toward freedom? Have we left all that behind? And if so, are we actually overcome it? And in the process, we see that uh, the picture in Revelation chapter 2, verse 17 of being given a new name um, says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches or the congregations. To him, 
who overcomes to him, I will give some of the hidden manna and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows, but he who receives it. And of course you get some uh, dropping of some historical references there of the, the hidden manna, the, that, the food that comes from heaven, that food, and you see like the hidden manna, some various ideas on what that mean could mean like, uh, the 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 jar of manna that was was hidden with the with the ark is is that what it's referring to but what was the manna itself representing that says that god provides the daily bread that some of the sustenance so this it's a beautiful picture to him who overcomes some of the hidden manna the daily bread that that which doesn't look like it will actually sustain you that you don't think you're actually going to get your daily bread so to speak you actually do get your daily bread in ways that you just may not recognize and love that picture of the of the white stone there are various accounts on where that comes from uh, some you know trace it to maybe it's talking about like the the boundary stones of where you are putting either the the deeds of the lord or various historical accounts to basically mark things out and say hey this is a unique place so that picture that we are given a new name in overcoming tells us what if we are given a new name that is a new identity I mean, that's, to me, that's, that's a fantastic message that we will have a new identity, a new uh, sense of who we are when we overcome who we were. Another passage here in Revelation 3, verses 11 and 12, I'm coming quickly, hold fast to what you have so that no one will take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Yerushalayim, which comes out of heaven from my God and my new name. So, this is a sense of not only will you be given some of the hidden manna, and you're overcoming to get you through the, to the next day. You'll be given the new identity, new, new boundaries of who you are. But here also that this promises is to make a pillar in the temple. So overcoming then makes you then a way that you can become a part of the great house of God, a, a part of the dwelling place of God where, you know, you will be a part of taking the presence of God into the world around. And in here with the, the new generation, new Jerusalem, that you will be a, a beacon for all generations. Cause it, it says there in, in uh, Isaiah 66, when it talks about that from new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all people well, come and bow down before God. And you see the picture there in in uh, Revelation twenty one twenty two about this dwelling place of God being the place and the focus where people come to. So it's to me that is a a fantastic message of what lies ahead of us. So I hope in in this 
study here of the life of Avraham, the, the, the father of those who trust in, in God, the ones who believe in the Lord and to whom the Lord credits righteousness, that we can see the great hope, not only for our own lives, but also for the world around us, that he can take, just like he took Avraham from a place where he needed to leave to a place he needed to go. And just as Avraham trusted that he was headed in the right direction, so too the Lord can take us from the place we need to leave (laughs) to the place we need to go. And we can trust that he is actually taking us in the right direction. And uh, that is a great hope that we have for the world. So with that, bring things to, to a conclusion. Uh, as we close things out, are there any other, other ideas or questions that you have as we uh, close things out here today? You can unmute yourself and, oh, uh, there is your hand still up or is it just up from before? Well, I was just thinking, I think back to that. First of all, it's amazing. Uh, as usual, there's so much more depth to the stories than we would expect. Uh, Abraham, we know that they, they, the Israelites claimed him as their father, and, but never occurred to me in the old days before we started the parashahs that there was going to be so much more to what his life meant. <clears throat> In just the beginning of Israel, and the other thing I was thinking about that the one about that when the uh, when the Sadducees came to the Lord and were were obviously they were trying to attack his thing about talking about eternal life because they didn't believe in the resurrection, and they brought up this what seems to me kind of a silly reason to disprove the resurrection by talking about you know the fact that. Whose wife is she going to be? It's going to be too complex. We won't be able to, they won't be able to resurrect anybody because it's going to be too complex if we have this kind of situation where this woman was everybody, all these different wives, and so uh, you know, wife to all these different men. And I, I always thought that was kind of silly. Hmm. Anyway, that was my comment. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a it. It's a very interesting pickle that they had, had decided to pick there with the the as it's often called the the Leverite marriage, where you would have uh, the idea that a descendants be passed on from one generation to the next. But it's a very interesting thing because um, in dropping the names here, the God of Avraham, the God of Yitzhak, the God of Yaakov, as we've saw, as we've saw in the story today, that there was the promise given to Avraham that he would go on and through his, uh, through his body. And eventually the Lord said specifically, no, not only through you, but also through Sarai, the change to Sarah, that she would be the one who would come through. And then through him and her would come Yitzhak and Yaakov. So it's a very interesting little push back at the Sadducees in this case is to say, hey, look, you know, the whole thing of the Leverite marriage was about ensuring that your legacy would go on. That's what the whole point of that is, and that the 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 rights that would go through the particular family and particular tribe would then be able to go on. So little pushback on the Sadducees saying, 
well, remember Avraham. You know, don't uh, have this idea that the Lord cannot do that. And he cannot take what was meant to go from one generation to the next and not able to accomplish that. He did the impossible of making a childless woman able to have a child because trying to make it work yourself uh, didn't work well with the whole Hagar and Yishmael thing. So, a little picture, and perhaps it might have been a call of a Homer kind of uh, pushback on the Sadducees there. It's like, well, if the Lord was able to do that with Avraham and Sarah, how much more is he then able to bring back Avraham himself <laughs> to resurrect Avraham himself. So don't you think the one who's able to make the childless have children, then able to bring back Avraham himself and Avraham's son through Sarah Yitzhak. So a very interesting way that he, that the, he answered that question by addressing two things at once. Well, if you trust that, that the Lord is able to do that. Well, isn't he able to raise someone from the dead? Any other uh, thoughts or comments? Yes, this is Anne. Can you yes, hear me? hi, Anne. I can hear you. Good, good. Okay, so um, I find it really wonderful that the Lord sent someone to Hagar. Uh, the angel of the Lord came to Hagar. And... Um, and spoke to her and, and actually even gave a new name for himself to her. That is really a wonderful insight there. And then later, uh, we know that Abraham was the father of Ishmael. And Ishmael was the father of many, 12 nations, mm-hmm. with 12 tribes, right? So mm-hmm. <clears throat> the thing I say is uh, the Muslim people... They claim Abraham as their father, but they don't claim the God of Abraham as their God. And mm. uh, when did Muhammad come in that they went astray? If they, if they went astray at any point, they just go astray the way we go astray and they became this raging people or what. But there are so many Muslims these days that are turning to Esau. I think it's how they say Mm-hmm. Yeshua in yep in um, Arabic um, in Arabic yes so there is a remnant of uh, of Ishmael's um, prodigy you'll say or his his generations after him that have come to know Yeshua Isa mm-hmm. but the point is when did Muhammad take over the God of Abraham I mean for Maybe the God of Abraham was the original. Well, yeah, because uh, um, yeah, Tammy can, can help me with uh, Islamic history a lot better on this. But uh, as I recall, it's about uh, 8600, somewhere around there is when the time period of Muhammad. Wasn't that correct, Tammy? Yeah, I think he had his vision around 624. Right. So yeah. definitely would be the what we'd say the seventh century in those six hundreds. Yes. Oh. And so not the one I mean. Yeah. So that's mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's, uh, so like uh, 600 AD, AD 600. So that's quite a long time later from uh, the account that we have with, with Avraham. And also uh, the uh, accounts, you know, if you've uh, seen some aspects of the Quran, you'll see that, as like I was mentioning earlier, the creation account, quite different. And of course, the encounter with uh, Avraham and on the mountain, it being Yishmael versus uh, Yitzhak. Um, the accounts and such that were collected in there, some are unique, some are um, very varying forms, Tammy, as I recall, from what the Ebionites and some other um, sects had come out as um, varying accounts of the, the Torah, as I recall, and even accounts of the, the, the Gospels and the life, especially through the Ebionites, as I recall. Well, the Ebionites were one of those groups that um, when the early church was starting to kind of go from Shabbat to Sunday, they were one of the groups that kind of refused because um, of the teachings of like the Apostle um, John. Um, but um, they were definitely a, um, they also had taken, um, they had also taken a, a vow of extreme poverty and so on. But um, they didn't really last very long. Oh, okay. Well, thank you. And, um, but the Ebionites were, um, they, they were pretty much um, a lot, um, I'm reading here, just to refresh my own memory, they had kind of revered um, James the Just. Um, and they kind of considered him the true successor the true successor of Yeshua rather than um, rather than like Paul, you know, they can, they, they had rejected Paul. So they were not, I wouldn't call the Ebionites a, um, I would call them a heretical sect really um, because they didn't um, believe in the writings or the teachings of the apostle Paul. Mm-hmm. But, and in, and in some of the, the uh, the the sex uh, that uh, Muhammad came in contact with in Arabia. Um, he would have come in contact with. Um, he could have come. In, he could have come in contact with um, Ebionites, but more likely, the kind of groups he would have come in contact with um, would have probably been um, Nestorians. Ah, the Nestorians. Okay, gotcha. Um. And other groups like that. He probably would have also come into some contact with um, traditional Orthodox Christians as well. But it seems from his some of his uh, misunderstandings that um, I don't think he had a very strong exposure to traditional Orthodox Christianity. Because, for example, if you read the Quran, they talk about that our Trinity is um, Jesus and Mary and the Holy Spirit, as though mary was god's wife or something um so whatever christianity he had contact with was not the um orthodox um teaching so yeah and they also encountered some problems with the the jews of arabia because of um his versions of uh uh, stories from the from the torah which were Mm -hmm. um significantly different so Anyway, that is a good point to note that uh, one of the the 
perplexing things of the Torah is that this blessing was given to Ishmael, given to Ishmael for uh, the sake of uh, Avraham. But then you also have to think of, well, what is the legacy of Ishmael doing with that legacy? And, you know, praise God that there are people who are hearing the call of God and are coming back to coming back to the family, so, you, so to speak, coming back to the family of Avraham and coming back to the God of Avraham versus uh, some other God. Any other thoughts as we close out here today? All right. Well, thank you, Larry, for your comments. Thank you, Tammy, for always the, the history update. You know, if I ever get called on a quiz show and I have a lifeline, I... I have her number, thankfully, in my favorites, so I know that I'm going to be dialing that in a hurry. She could bail me out of uh, all kinds of historical morasses. In some ways, we are so, um, our society is so um, illiterate because um, we don't have to memorize telephone numbers anymore. That's right. You only get it one time. The person gives it to you one time. You put it into your phone. You never have to remember it again. (laughs) Just uh, a little picture that you probably have in your phone and oh i want to talk to that person and click and there you go <laughs> let's close things out with prayer father god we thank you for giving us your your words and for giving us your spirit and we thank you for giving us the word made flesh we thank you for recovering over our sins transgressions and iniquities through his blood we thank you for giving us the road home to you and for calling us your own. We thank you for all these things in the name of your son, Yeshua. Amen. You've been listening to a discussion at Hallel Fellowship. If you would like to hear more discussions or if you have any questions, visit the website at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. Hallel.info. Hallel.info.